You're listening to the Presence Pioneers Podcast. We believe that God is raising up houses of glory all over the earth. He's raising up communities that are centered around his presence and around the person of Jesus. And we're so excited to talk with Jeremiah Johnson today about his book, Houses of Glory, where he gets into this very topic. In his book, he talks about awakening a pioneering spirit, cultivating the upper room DNA, taking your place in the fivefold ministry, the operation of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and a prophetic vision for what God's doing in the earth. So we're going to begin to launch into some of these themes here in an amazing conversation with Jeremiah today. So glad you're tuning in. Before we hop in, Jeremiah, I just want to welcome anybody that's new to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. The Presence Pioneers podcast exists to equip you to host the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer. We believe that God's presence changes everything. And so on Thursdays, we release new episodes every week, and they're either going to be extended interviews and conversations like what we're having today, or short little Bible teachings from me on topics like worship and prayer and revival and missions. Those are the kind of things that we're very passionate about here. And so if you want to track with us, just hit subscribe or follow whatever platform you're tuning in with us today. We would love to stay in touch with you. You can also go to our website at presencepioneers.org. We have our entire archive up there. You can search by keyword or topic over 85 episodes now on the podcast. You can also subscribe via email up there or make a donation to support our ministry. The podcast is totally supported by our amazing Presence Pioneers partners who uh, provide financial support and allow us to do this as a resource to the body of Christ. So thank you so much to our partners as well. All right. Well, without further ado, Jeremiah, welcome to the podcast today. Matthew, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to uh, talking today about Houses of Glory. Yes, it's, it's an honor to have you on today. I think a lot of people probably know who you are and follow your ministry already. Uh, some people might know of you because of your pr- prophecies related to Donald Trump over recent years, which kind of got you a lot of notoriety one way or another. And uh, But some people may not know who you are at all. So would you like to just give a quick introduction of who you are and a little bit about your ministry? Sure. I uh, grew up in a uh, charismatic pastor's home, really never knew anything other uh, than the things of the Holy Spirit. I was uh, born dead. The cord was wrapped around my neck. My mom had had a dream to name me Jeremiah uh, in her womb. So a lot of just probably a supernatural being normalized from a young age. I tell people I never met a religious spirit until I went to Bible college <laughs> uh, and really, you know, was introduced to a world where you said you believed in things, but you'd never seen it before or it wasn't experiential. Ended up uh, working at an Assemblies of God church for a little under three years and then planted Part of the Father Ministry in Lakeland, Florida, which be, we became uh, two campuses in 2018. So there's two churches in Central Florida, and then in 2020 uh, we moved up to the Charlotte, North Carolina region and founded a movement called the Altar Global, uh, which is really centered on uh, the return of Jesus Christ and the preparation of His bride for that day. So we're headquartered uh, here in Charlotte. I have a great staff, uh, families here, and uh, just excited about what God's doing in this generation. 
Well, as a fellow North Carolinian, welcome to the Carolinas. It's great to have you here. Tell me about this book, Houses of Glory. I was, you know, saw an ad or a post on social media or something like that, and the book popped up. And this only happens occasionally, but I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit that I needed to order the book. And so I, not really even knowing what it was about, I ordered it. And uh, as I began to dive into it, I think the first chapter is about pioneering, or one of the first chapters is. And I said, oh, oh my goodness, well, this works great for us because we're all about pioneering. And then it's about the presence of God. And really, it to me, it seems like a blueprint for apostolic ministry and for leadership in the body of Christ and what God's wanting to do in in the church right now. And I thought it was a phenomenal book. But what stirred you to write this particular book about Houses of Glory? Yeah, this particular one was really birthed early on during the COVID-19 pandemic, early January 2020. I came underneath an incredible burden from the Lord. He had given me a word in February, and the word was, in the time of silence, I want you to call my people to spiritual violence. And at the time, I had no clue what that was. Uh, fast forward to March, I'm heading to Australia to speak at an apostolic conference. And, you know, the world shuts down like the day we're flying out. You know, you talk a lot of preachers, itinerates kind of happen to all of us. But living in Florida at the time, you know, our governor there said, you know, he came out one of the first weeks and said, the government has no right to tell churches when they can meet and when they can't meet. And so um, our elder team got together and just made a decision. We're not shutting the church doors. And again, that was our decision. Uh, I'm in no way sending some subliminal message to any other pastor or leader of, of what they did during the pandemic. So just right. throwing that qualifier out there. But, That's good. you know, I, I began to be commissioned by the Lord. You know, Matt, it was so interesting. You know, all my friends, pastor friends, traveling friends, they were all shut down. Their travel schedule was wiped out during COVID. They couldn't meet. And here we were in Florida and we're having nonstop services. In fact, we began having five nights a week revival services wow. during the pandemic, people coming from everywhere. And I traveled more in 2020 on the road than 10 years prior in traveling ministry. I tell people, if there was a church open in your state during COVID, I probably preached at it. <laughs> so I, you know, and I'm going somewhere with this, but yeah. I, I had a, a very unusual invitation from the Lord during the pandemic. And so as I began to travel, I began to carry a burden specifically for the global church at large that in many ways, COVID-19, the pandemic began to expose the foundation of the church. I, I do not believe that God sent COVID. I want to make that clear, but I do believe in his redemptive purposes that COVID-19 was used as a tool of exposure, exposing the celebrity spirit in the church. I think that there's way too much of a dependence upon a man or woman of God that sometimes my friend Corey Russell calls it a feeding tube, but there's like a feeding tube that's stuck from people to pulpits, 
we have a crisis in America, a lack of mothers and fathers even knowing how to disciple their own children. So we blame the kids' church. We blame the youth group. So I began to look at 2020 as an opportunity. I looked at it like a Kairos moment. I didn't look at it like as an opportunity to go on a Netflix binge or just kind of check out. In fact, I felt like the Lord was calling me personally to check in, to come to the front lines. And so Houses of Glory, that's like the whole background. I didn't even have, you know, what I've told you now, I didn't even have time to write about or really talk about publicly, but that's kind of the real deal story behind the writing of that book is it was birthed uh, through a supernatural burden from the Lord during the pandemic. But during the pandemic, I found myself more active, more burdened, uh, maybe getting to see more than a lot of people got to see because of the lockdowns. Yeah. Now, I actually traveled more in 2020 than I ever had before as well. It was actually kind of nice initially because there weren't a whole lot of people on the airplanes. (laughs) And oh, uh, yeah. you got to got to spread out a little bit and the flights were pretty cheap. But even with Awake in the Dawn, we saw 90 or so tents set up last year, even in the midst of things, people were still still gathering outdoors to worship and pray all over America. And, you know, like you said, no, no condemnation or on those who had to close down for whatever reason or made their choices. But God was certainly still moving in 2020 in, in some amazing ways. And so... One of the things that stuck out to me in this book was the topic of David and the idea of David. I wrote my first book at the beginning of this year, and it's right behind me, David's Tabernacle, How God's Presence Changes Everything. So it's about Tabernacle of David, which you even have a little blurb about in the book. But you use David as an example multiple times, and it seems like God's used him as an example to speak to you about sort of what's emerging. You said there was, quote, a new breed of Davidic leaders the Lord had a word about fivefold ministry leaders with a Davidic anointing who walk humbly before me. And uh, so, yeah, I was just curious because David is a passion of mine and God's used David to, you know, speak to me in many ways. What do you think it is about David specifically that the Lord is, is wanting to highlight maybe in terms of what he's doing right now? Yeah, that that's a great question. You know, I, I think in my prophetic world, if you will, uh, David has always represented more of the presence-based, uh, fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, very sure the listeners are, are aware of, you know, the, the Psalm 27, you know, one thing I ask, one thing I seek. You know, he was a man of one thing. He takes an oath in Psalm 132, you know, he won't give you know, his eyelids sleep, you know, until he finds a place. So he's super passionate. We know in Second Samuel 6, you know, he, he takes the throne. And then his very first move is to bring the ark of God's presence back into Israel. So I have often looked at David as a prototype, if you will. But I think that we also need to compare and contrast with Saul, who I believe represents a religious leader uh, that had lost the fresh anointing on his life and relied more on his giftedness than intimacy with the Lord. And so I, I very much see, Matt, in the church, the war between the house of David and the house of, of Saul. And there is so much tension uh, in the church. I believe it, it probably 
became more heightened during the pandemic than ever before. And again, I think God used the pandemic to expose the religious traditions of men, our codependency upon programs and entertainment, our need to control people. And so the way that I say it is Saul was a man of position. David was a man of the presence, you know, leaders of the presence, for example, they find their identity in the Lord, where you had Saul, even even when he gets exposed and he's he's trying to repent, he's asking Samuel, the prophet, to come and stay stand with him so that he can still look good in front of people. And so when you follow that whole religious positioning thing, it's all about performance and it's all about who has the most and who has how many. And so that spirit of competition, which if you follow it out, brings jealousy, all of those things. And again, just saying now Saul is a prototype of the religious spirit, that whole thing. I think that, you know, again, David as an Old Testament prototype, a man of the presence, found his identity in the one thing. And then Saul, that religious leader, position, performance, jealousy, they end up clashing in the Old Testament. And here we are in the new covenant. And I still very much feel that there is a war. I hate to call it that, but it's that's just what it is. You, you see people attacking one another, the vitriol, all those things. You know, if, if you don't mind me taking my liberty, Matt, I feel sure. prophetically even right now, some people that are listening to this, that maybe something is stirring in your heart. And, and this, you know, maybe is a little, a little bit of a prophetic correction, but, you know, there was purpose in David serving Saul for a season. And there's a process that God calls all Davidic leaders into. And a lot of times what we don't want to hear is that you're called to serve Saul to get the Saul out of you. You know, I I run into so many leaders that have been, you know, almost enslaved to these religious systems. They got burned by the church. They were rejected. And I, I don't know that they really see the purpose in the pain And I was telling a leader last week in Pittsburgh who was literally just pouring out his heart. He had faithfully served who he considered a father in the faith for like 15 years, hand and foot. And the Lord calls him to plan his own. And as soon as he tells this guy that he has faithfully served for 15 years, as soon as he says, the Lord's calling me out, the guy says to him, our conversation is over. Never talk to me again. Oh my gosh. And, and, and again, there's that religious performance jealousy thing greatly wounded this young guy. But I sense prophetically there are folks listening uh, on the podcast. Maybe you've been wounded. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you're still reeling. You're disillusioned with the church. I feel like the Spirit of God is saying, don't just throw out that season and forget it. Recognize that there's purpose in your pain. Oftentimes we serve Saul to get the Saul out of us. And then finally, you had to experience the pain so that you'll never do it to someone else. And so it's really important that sting, that religion, it's like a, a snake bite. Man, it hurts. 
But if you don't get free, if you don't get healed, if you don't learn how to forgive, you will do the same thing. I have been in one of those seasons where my heart grew weary toward a leader in my season of serving the religious system. God said to me one day, Matt, the way that you treat this guy is the way people are going to treat you when they're underneath your care. Come on. Change my heart brought me toward repentance. I served that pastor with honor and love. I didn't agree with most of what he did, but it wasn't about that. It was about the Lord testing my heart. And now I can say I've had some of the best staff, honorable, good, gracious people. And I attribute some of that to even my season of being processed. So I just released that over those listening, watching today. May the Spirit of God, just that balm of Gilead, really minister to heal you and, yeah. and bring forgiveness. And if you need to write them a letter or if you need to make a phone call, may the Lord be with you in Jesus' name. Come on. That's so good, man. Thank you for releasing that. That resonates with me. I'm sure it's going to speak to a lot of people that tuned in here. When I was writing my book, I, I mean, the, the story of David's tabernacle and David's worship has been something that I've been studying and living out best of my ability for 15 plus years. But while I was writing the book, the story of David and Saul is the place where I got fresh revelation, even as, as I was writing. And I, I feel like that's such a word for right now for so many people, seeing that storyline and learning how to navigate that rightly. The Lord was showing me that you know, the idea of a priest and a king and how Saul was the king and tried to use his own authority to affect the priesthood where David wanted to be a priest. He wanted to minister to the Lord. He wanted to be in the presence of God. And then from that place of intimacy, God exalted him to the place of leadership rather than trying to start sort of from the top down and have that controlling spirit uh, that you were talking about that, that Saul carried. And so I think humility is the word that comes to mind. It came to mind as you were talking that the Lord wants to cultivate in us. So yeah, any any more any more thoughts on that on Saul and David? Yeah, I mean, man, I I, I could probably talk for several hours. I, I preached a series series of messages last year called the Civil War in the Church. And it was just a huge download the Lord gave me again, just about the kingdom of Saul, the kingdom of David. I think it's as relevant today. And, you know, there's so much hurt. There's so much pain. You know, I, you know, I, I've often said I, I grow weary of, of the extremes that are going on in the church today. I'm troubled by them. I think that we just, you know, we have people who perhaps grew up in some kind of religious system, you know, at the church all the time felt like their parents neglected them, which obviously isn't right. And then, you know, now in today's world, and especially for folks in their 30s and 40s, you have people worshiping their kids. And so now it's all about their kids. And now we just, we literally swung the pendulum from one place to the other. And so, you know, my, my desire for a lot of the folks, you know, that, that if, if they'll give themselves to healing, if they'll give themselves to forgiveness, I mean, I, I just even, you know, you talked about pioneering earlier and it's the first chapter. I mean, it's one thing to be on a staff or it's one thing to be on social media and to be casting your opinions about how things should, how the church should run and all this stuff. 
But man, there is a whole nother world of actually having to do it yourself. And I can't tell you how many guys I've called and repented to when I was just, yeah, you're, you're doing this and you're doing that just from the sidelines. And then when given the opportunity myself to pioneer, oh my gosh, you, know, you talked about humility. You know, the, the problem with casting stones or the peanut gallery is sooner or later, you're going to get your chance. And a lot of people yeah. are going, going to realize that it was a lot easier to, t- you know, talk loud from the cheap seats than to actually break up, follow ground and, and become the difference. You know, my heart, like let's, again, I honor you, you know, let, let's not just talk about Saul and the religious system. Like let's, let's actually build a house of glory. Like let's actually, you know, do what it is that we see. I told people, I think the greatest form of criticism and the most healthy way is we criticize with what we've built. Right. You know, in, in other words, if you don't like the way something is, give yourself to building something different and you don't even have to do the talking. You can do what the Lord gave you grace to build. That can do the talking. But your question about anything else, yeah, I just, you know, I really, I really hope that our generation, you know, can move beyond the wounded, the hurt, the pointing the fingers get healing, recognize the pain and the purpose, pioneer something, you'll end up going back and repenting to people that you were way too hard on and, uh, you know, walk in humility. Yeah. Hey, Amen. I love that point about rather than critiquing what you see as something that's wrong, building what is right. You know, I think that's what's happened in, in many ways with what we call the prayer movement over the last 20 years, where God has raised up these communities that are going after prayer, fasting, worship, and just their very existence provokes the broader body of Christ at large. And we, and rather than standing on a platform and saying, you're prayerless, you're prayerless, you're not praying enough, you go and you start a prayer meeting. And then the fact that you're praying provokes the church to, to our need for prayer and our need to seek the Lord. And so I love the the wisdom of that. We do have a lot of pioneers, you know, people that are either leading or want to start something. Many of them have desires and dreams in their hearts and they haven't necessarily seen them fulfilled yet. Just wondering any other thoughts on that pioneering spirit, you know, like what's some wisdom for pioneers people? I'm thinking about the people that have dreams, visions, even words from God, but they're not seeing them manifested yet. You know, how do they, number one, not hold back from pursuing and pioneering, but at the same time, you know, maybe living in that Saul season where they're having to serve a Saul too, but they've got this dream in their heart for something more. Yeah. Any thoughts on, on how to navigate some of that with wisdom for some, some of the people that are tuning in? Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org 
or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Yeah, great, great question. You know, I'll tell a quick story. You know, when, when we planted the church down in Florida, I mean, we had a word from God. We had five people. We had no money. I mean, I'm talking just a word from the Lord. And I had graduated with honors from an Assemblies of God school. I thought the Lord was like, don't go with a denomination, which was a huge deal. So we, when I say we pioneered, I mean, it was rough. Kill. So we're in this season and we ended up doing like five buildings in five years, you know, just straight gospel, go somewhere. We were the flyer. We didn't have money for flyer. I mean, you know, we're give us this day our daily. <laughs> I tell people I fasted more church planning than I ever had. And it was just simply mandatory because we had no money, fully dependent upon the Lord you know, drawing young people, the Lord's moving and, you know, you, you don't even have enough money to pay the light bill, that kind of thing. And so I remember being maybe five years into it. I had a buddy that I went to school with uh, that actually, you know, went to college for an engineering degree, but on his college campus, but there's a model of church out there in America where they basically recruited him to plan a church and they ended up sending him to a city with like 50 families who had sold everything. Wow. They sent him an offering like $400,000. And so he calls me up and I'm still in this year five. Like I want to give up every month, Lord, all of those pioneering things. And he calls me up and he says, Hey brother, you know, and we're best friends growing up. You know, I heard you've been church planning. How does this work? And again, I think that pioneering to some is not pioneering to others. And so when he tells me, well, we've got 50 families that are all in and 400, I'm like, I started laughing hysterically on the phone and then got mad. God had to check my heart. And I literally said, bro, I, I have no advice to offer you because you have salaries paid for you have i'm like man i'm out here on the pioneering journey we're about the presence i mean you know man I, i'm down in at our church in lakeland i mean we grew to you know four or five hundred people i never had a clock in our sanctuary one sunday i mean so and again i'm not throwing shade at anybody that yeah. has a clock in your sanctuary but i mean we were like presence okay like Lord, Holy Spirit moved. Yeah, we had programs for kids and families, but we just pioneered. So it's, you know, when you ask some of these questions, I, and I do coach and love on a lot of pioneers, but I'm sort of definitely the guy that's more like, yeah. give me a group that just has a word and is willing to <laughs> hold on to the Lord, not so much some of the other stuff. So let can I just take one more minute? Oh, yeah, go for you it. Know, so let, let, me, let me say two things. 
church planning in, in Central Florida for a decade, you have authority where you have history. So by the time that we were there for a decade, and I mean authority in the spirit and all those things, we had to labor and pioneer for years there where we gained a realm of authority in the city. God was moving. But when we move up to Charlotte, we move up recently last year to a city. We've got no authority because we don't have any history here. And so I like to just mention the story of Aquila and Priscilla when the apostles would go into cities that they had no authority, so to speak, because they had no history. They were wise in that they sought to connect with leaders or individuals who had authority because they had history here. So when we move up to Charlotte here, one of the very first things that I've done, and I'm still actively doing it, is I get lunches. I have meetings. We come alongside of pastors, the Priscilla's and Aquila's of Charlotte, and we're partnering with them. And yes, we're praying and we have a house of prayer, but maybe there's someone listening today that feels defeated, doesn't know what to do. I would encourage you to maybe reach out to some individuals, especially if you're in a new season, and try to honor and serve what's happening as well as do whatever the Lord tells you to do. I think that that's really important. And then again, if there's anybody on here that feels alone or feels defeated or feels discouraged, maybe I've been there on a thousand days on the pioneering journey. Uh, it's not for the faint at heart. There's very few people that will end up understanding what you're called to. But nonetheless, uh, God was good to us. He saw us through. Uh, he taught us trust and dependence and just just keep holding on uh, to what the Lord's calling you to do. So not sure if that hit on anything or was for anybody, but that's a little little so bit, and, yeah, and and maybe you know, yeah, may, maybe maybe you are in a city. I'm sure it's true, and you're trying to follow God, and you don't have any provision, and you're not seeing any fruit. And there's a big church down the road that you're like, man, they're not even preaching the gospel. They're they sold out to the things of the world, and Lord, I'm over here trying to do everything right. I'm broke. Listen, yeah. you know, I I, I get that. But that could just be one big distraction and pointing the finger at Saul, if you will, and hindering you from following the Lord and doing what he said. Yeah, no, that's so good, man. You have authority where you have history. That's such that's such a good principle. I think of the term relational equity, you know, where you where you build that over time. And that just takes time and it takes relationship. And I think that's a word of wisdom for some people who who want to pursue and pioneer and go after a dream, maybe you need to have some lunch with a few people. <laughs> so simple, but it really works, really makes a difference. Yeah. Develops that trust with people so that you can have authority in, in a place as you're building and pursuing things. Well, I wanted to just touch for a moment here, kind of maybe it's the last topic we can, we can talk about is this idea of upper room DNA, uh, which of course for, us is a topic we love, the idea of worship, prayer, the presence of God, ministry to the Lord. And I'm curious on some of your interest in this, it seems like to me, and again, I haven't followed you very closely, but it seems like to me that you are 
leaning more into some of the relationships with leaders in what in what we would call the prayer movement, leaders of houses of prayer. I'm noticing at some of your conferences, you're bringing in people like Alan Hood and Billy Humphrey and Corey Russell and some of these guys, some of them we've had on on this podcast and many of our listeners and viewers will know some of these guys. But first question, I guess, is just kind of cut out of my own curiosity is, has the Lord increased an interest in that for you? Or is that grown in your heart? I know you've always been dependent on prayer and that kind of thing, but to me, it seems like maybe a added emphasis or uh, maybe some things have shifted or maybe maybe they haven't. Maybe I'm just late to the party. But yeah, just talk to us about that. Yeah, that's great. I guess to use your words, maybe late to the party, but I, you know, <laughs> okay, that, that sounds a little harsh. So, you know, Matt, I, I mentioned earlier on the podcast, my dad was a part of a large charismatic church in Indianapolis, uh, really good friends with the IHOP stream. So I literally gotcha. remember being seven years old in a family named the Hendricksons, uh, who were part of the original plant there in Kansas City when they were in the trailer. I remember them literally awesome. coming to our local church and introducing harp and bowl worship when it wasn't cool and really when it was messy. I mean, I'm talking literally setting up a section where where they told people you can sleep and try to get a dream during worship. I mean, it, it was <laughs> radical to, you know, painting. To, I mean, just the whole thing. And it literally I love it. flipped our local church upside down. And so I tell people, my dad basically just wholesale bought into the place of prayer and worship. So our vacations growing up, my dad thought a great family vacation on one of four boys was literally to take us to Kansas City and sit in a prayer room for 40 hours a week while our buddies were going to the world and whatever. So it got woven into our DNA hardcore. I think, you know, out of maybe the 18 to 21 things that they ever had, I missed one. When we planted mm. the church down in Lakeland, Alan and Corey were regular. So I've awesome. been been around them, grown up in it. You know, it, it's played a unique role in the prophetic ministry the Lord has given me because I was taught the priestly ministry before prophetic ministry, which I really think it is a biblical paradigm. But as you mentioned, you know, in this new season, I feel like the Lord, the language I would use is he's, he's returned me back to my roots. I do think that there was a season prophetically, especially as I was garnering so much national attention. It was just crazy. Um, that I drifted in some ways away from the DNA, the mandate that the Lord had given me. So I would say, a, a, you know, a resurgence. The way that I tell people, it's just the Lord's really come and trim the fat. He's mm-hmm. He's come and, and said to me, "You're no more politics, no more some of this stuff. I just want you to be focused." on the bride, uh, the coming of the Lord, and the raising up of end-time messengers. So, you know, that's a little bit of my history, I guess, sort of a, a son of the prayer movement in many ways, awesome. but that still doesn't mean in some ways, in some seasons, um, the Lord didn't need to come and discipline me and refine me and get me back to my roots. And so I feel now I'm back there. Uh, I'm not going anywhere else, and I'm going to kind of Go all in. That's great. Now, I think it's probably just because a lot of 
what you kind of became, you know, popular for for a while there was so much of the prophetic ministry, specifically around politics. And so some of the platforms and, and different perspectives you were presented in were, was probably not as much an emphasis on prayer and fasting, revival, the return of Jesus. Those kind of topics weren't necessarily on the forefront. So that was probably um, why it seems like a shift, even though from your perspective, that's always been the foundation of everything yeah. that you've been. Doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you, when you go through hard seasons, you know, you, you tend to notice who's willing to walk with you when you're the talk of the nation and then who's willing to walk with you when everybody's yelling, crucify them. Wow. And to be honest, in, in my darkest seasons in the last six months of going through our process, who reached out to me? Mike Bickle. Who reached out to me? Alan Hood. Who, you know, who reached out to me? Billy Humphrey. I mean, it, it was it was in some ways hilarious. It's like the one movement that stepped toward me rather away from me was those who do the Sermon on the Mount. They do forgiveness. They do humility. They honor all of these Bible stuff. So I think for me, I feel I owe a debt of gratitude and just more than I can have words for to the prayer movement. Again, I feel my roots came back and rescued me in some ways, and I'm super grateful for for a lot of these guys. Again, we can all befriend somebody when they're famous and and whatever, but you know, when they're God with the wind, I, I appreciate these guys chasing me down and, and loving on me. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Oh, I hadn't planned to ask you about this, but the emphasis on the return of the Lord that seems to be, uh, you know, a huge part of the altar global that you've that you've now launched, and obviously that's something that has been a theme in, you know, the house of prayer world since the beginning. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to share on that? Just kind of, why do you think the Holy Spirit is highlighting the return of Jesus right now in such a profound way with you? So just, just riff on that for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just turned in a manuscript for the next book that I've written that comes out in January, 2022. It's called The Altar, Preparing for the Return of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, Matt, I share in there, and I haven't shared very often, but, you know, probably one of the most or the most significant encounter of my life was at the end of 2018. We had planted our campus, as I mentioned on the podcast, in 2010. We launched on their campus in 2018. I felt like my time of, of church planning, pioneering was coming to an end. And I, I would tell people I was actually on a fast asking the Lord what my fivefold ministry call was. Was I an apostle, a prophet, or whatever? And I'm in my yeah. bedroom, and all of a sudden, bright light filled the room, and Jesus Christ walked into my room. And so I detail this account in this upcoming book, but everything stopped for me. And when he pointed his finger at me, put it right in my chest, and he said these words, many know the lamb who went to Calvary, but few know the lion who is returning to devour his father's enemies. And he began to talk to me about my role as an end time messenger in the earth that I was supposed to raise up end time messengers, that I was supposed to 
And again, this is this is at the end of 2018. And so kind of, you know, if people are confused, really in 19 and 20, I believe I end up personally getting off course, drifting into a political prophetic realm. I was never intended. I don't necessarily believe I should have gone down the path like I did. And so now fast forward to 2021, the Lord's taking me back to the encounter that I had when he walked into my bedroom in late 18. And so there's just been a two-year period of, you know, again, just some distraction, a little bit of mixture. I tell people, I, I very much feel a John the Baptist call on me, but you'll notice John the Baptist, when he starts meddling with Herod and the political, the leaven, and starts challenging, he gets his head cut off. And, you know, wow. this is just free for thought, but I, I'm not even sure that was his ultimate destiny to be beheaded. And so in some ways, I feel like I got beheaded because I began to function in a lane I, I don't know that I was really commissioned into. So, you know, I hope that that makes sense. But for me, it was a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. It was a divine commissioning. It's taken some years now to fully say yes and build him an altar. But that's kind of why I'm emphasizing eternity why it's a passion, you know, why for me, it's a mandate. He didn't ask me, he told me. And so I hear people and that's great. I believe the Lord invites us into some things, but the Lord really commissioned me and told me what I was going to do. So I'm here in this season now up in Charlotte. The Lord said, move to Charlotte, marry the queen to the king. And so we're here in the Charlotte region feeling like there's an anointing uh, in the Charlotte, in the Carolinas for the bride and bridegroom reality, fires all up and down the eastern seaboard. So that's uh, kind of kind of where we're at. Yeah, that's so good, man. For those that don't know, the Charlotte's called the Queen City. So that's that's what the word about Queen and King means there. No, that's so awesome, man. I when I was getting into the prayer movement and this idea of day and night worship and prayer and, and all this kind of thing, I thought it was awesome, but I was like, why does IHOP, Mike Bick, all these guys are always talking about the return of Jesus. Like, why don't you do the prayer and worship, but not talk about that stuff? <laughs> that yeah. was my initial idea. And the problem was the more I started looking at the scriptures that call us to the place of prayer, especially day and night prayer, so many of them are immediately connected to the return of Jesus, Luke 18, Isaiah 62. I mean, there's all these passages about prayer, especially day and night prayer. So many of them are in preparation for the return of Jesus and even hastening the day of the Lord's return. So to me, those two realities are inseparable at this point. Yeah. And even if you step even outside of that context and you look even further, the pastoral epistles, you're talking about the call to holiness is connected to the return of the Lord. The call to enjoy present trials is connected to the return of the Lord. Mm. Peter tells them in Acts 2, repent so that Jesus might come back. So when I started studying this stuff, it is crazy. The return of the Lord was at the forefront of the early church and the fact that it's not at the forefront today is sad. But again, there, there is a, an awakening. There is a revival coming. 
I call it bridal revival because I really do believe that you can have revival, the miracles, the salvation, the power of God without the emphasis on the bride and his return. And so I very much believe that the revival and the awakening that we're stepping into in these last days is actually going to be tattooed with eternity and it's going to be unlike any other revival and awakening we've seen in the past. Come on. Amen. Amen to that. That's so awesome, man. Well, I think our time is probably running out here. I would love for you, you know, just share with people different ways they can connect with you. I know you guys are doing some events, schools, books, et cetera. What are some of the ways people could maybe stay connected with you guys and, and glean more from what you're doing? So thankful for you and your voice and your ministry and what you guys are, are building there in Charlotte. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, a website that they can go to is thealterglobal.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, The Alter Global. Those are just some social ways. Uh, we do the last Friday of every month. We have a local altar service in Charlotte. Uh, it's local churches from all throughout the region. We have pastor and his team coming from Ohio this Friday. I mean, a lot of folks travel, but it's really, we feel a burden for Charlotte. So that's once a month, the last Friday. And then every four months, we have a national altar gathering in a certain different city in America. Uh, we bring in voices, Alan Hood, Corey Russell, Brian Guerin, uh, some, some familiar streams in the IHOP, but then uh, individuals like uh, Daniel Kalenda uh, about the harvest, some of that kind of stuff. So you can get all that information on our website or you know social media pages. And then finally, we have the Altar School of Ministry, which is my primary passion and burden out of the encounter that I had with the Lord to raise up messengers in every sphere of society. But I will just throw out there, my personal burden is for the marketplace, those who are working in secular fields. So the school is purposely at night on Tuesday, Thursday nights. It's only a year. I think right now, those coming in August, 90% of them are business owners. Uh, I believe God has called me to pioneer the message of eternity, specifically in the marketplace. And so you can get more information about the school. It's the altar.school. Matt, thank you so much for uh, having me today. And I just pray what we've discussed and shared with just stir those on uh, to love and good deeds. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, we'll include links to all those things in the descriptions and the show notes. I want to really recommend the Houses of Glory book specifically for the pioneers and the leaders and those. I mean, we, we sort of barely scratched the surface on a couple of the topics that are in this book, and uh, it's really good. And we'll link to that as well as all the resources you guys have. Jeremiah, this has been a treat. Thanks so much, man. Bless you, man. Thank you.